Assurance of Pardon is sponsored by Logos Bible Software, the most advanced Bible study tool for both ministers and laypeople. Available on iOS and Android for phones and tablets, as well as on your Windows or Mac computer or laptop. Get the most of your time in the scriptures with Logos Bible Software. For more information and 15% off your next Logos package plus five free ebooks, visit assuranceofpardon.com slash logos. Now on with the show. Welcome to Assurance of Pardon, a podcast about the gospel, the Bible, the church, what it all means, and why it all matters. I'm Scott Davis, pastor of Hope Presbyterian Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. And I am Gage Jordan, an intern at Christ Church Conway in Conway, Arkansas, and a seminary student. Awesome, Gage. Here we are for episode eight, and continue to be so encouraged by the the, the new uh, countries around the world. There are people in... in uh, in countries all over the globe that are tuning in, it's so it's so exciting to log into our our podcast host and see there's a bunch of people in Canada that listen, and there's a people in Vietnam and France, and so uh, if I knew how to say hello to them in their native tongue, I would, but I don't need to. Apparently, they they understand English because they're listening. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I had a uh, buddy of mine that's the OPC pastor in Puerto Rico shoot me a message. He was so excited that we gave uh, him and his folks in Puerto Rico a shout out. So uh, Bam Bam, shout out again. Appreciate your uh, love and support, brother. And if anybody has any, uh, it's, if anybody has any questions or topics they would like us to address or uh, answer on the, on the podcast, Gage, how do they get a hold of us? So if you have any questions at all, you can, of course, always uh, shoot a message through our contact form on the website at assuranceofpardon.com, or uh, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter and shoot us a message there. We'd love to hear from you. And in the and in the coming uh, weeks and months, we'll have some exciting developments. We're going to be uh, partnering with some additional podcasts and adding some other uh, folks onto our team here. It'll still be Gage and I hosting Assurance of Pardon, but we're going to be promoting some other podcasts as well. So uh, stay tuned if you're enjoying the content that we've been churning out so far for the, just the last two months. We think you'll really enjoy the stuff we've got coming up. Um, well, Gage, we've been going through um, uh, a Reformed liturgy uh, each week. Yeah, we've been just focusing on uh, an element in reformed liturgy from the confession of sin. We, we spent some time talking about assurance of pardon because of course that's what the podcast is called. We've talked about the preached word. We've talked about passing the peace. We've talked about the Lord's supper. And now we're going to talk about one that probably most churches don't do every week, but every church has some understanding of it. And that is, we're going to talk about baptism. Um, and, and hopefully I, I would imagine we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about uh, why Presbyterians baptize the way that they baptize. And so we're going to talk about the mode of baptism. That is how much water do you use and what do you do with that water? Uh, the meaning of baptism and the subjects of baptism, who is to be baptized. So Gage, what kind of baptism tradition did you grow up in? So I grew up in a Southern Baptist church. So I was baptized by immersion at six years old. Yeah. So that would be what we would call credo 
Baptist credo, meaning uh, believers baptism. So our Baptist brothers and sisters who we love, um, they they would say that uh, you only baptize someone upon a profession of faith, credo, meaning believe. So believers baptism. And I I, I also I, I was actually uh, raised in a in a conservative Methodist church. Uh, wasn't baptized until I was about thirteen. So it, it would have been a, it was a public profession of faith for me, uh, but Methodists also for somewhat different uh, um, uh, different reasons, but Methodists also baptize infants. So what we're going to talk about a little bit today is is what baptism is. Uh, let's talk about that first. Um, baptism is a sign. When we talked about the Lord's Supper, we said that God gives us the Lord's Supper as a sign of his faithfulness, as a sign of our being united to him, and as a sign uh, of his broken body and shed blood, and that we do that every single time. But there's also an initiatory sign. You might, you might say, if the Lord's Supper is the anniversary meal that the couple celebrates repeatedly to remember their, their promises, then baptism would be, would be a, a a picture of the wedding in some sense. And, and baptism is a sign. So what do we mean gauge when we say that baptism is a sign or a sacrament? Yeah. So, um, going back to that episode again of the Lord's supper, remember we defined a sign being something that, that points to something else. And I, I think Scott, you used the analogy that if you're driving and you say that, uh, the sign says this uh, upon inclement weather, this bridge may be icy. It, the The sign itself isn't necessarily the icy bridge. It's pointing to the fact that the bridge could be icy or the stop sign itself is, is telling you or pointing to an action uh, that should be taken. It's not itself the action that you're doing. So in the same way that baptism is a sign, right? It is pointing to something is pointing to um, the the covenant that God has established uh, with His people, the promises that these these promises of the gospel are true, both for um, the believing parent and for the children, and any as many as God would uh, call to Himself. Uh, this sign uh, points to that reality the, and the hope of the, those promises, and that's why we call it a sacrament. Sacrament really just meaning something that we believe is sacred um, and set apart and that's what we believe about uh, baptism particularly about the the children of believers that they are holy they're they're set apart not that they are saved not that they are in in some sense uh, saved in the baptism but that they are holy in the sense that we mean set apart and that's where we get the idea of sacrament yeah, God. God uses uh, one of the ways that God has been pleased to grow uh, His kingdom is through yes, through evangelism, uh, um, um, sharing the gospel with friends and neighbors and even strangers, and having them come to faith in Christ. Um, uh, but one of the ways, the primary ways God has been pleased to grow the church is through families. God using Christian moms and dads and Christian grandparents to raise us up in what the Bible calls the wisdom and admonition of the Lord. I think of Deuteronomy chapter six, which says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. 
and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between the eyes uh, between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. God is, is saying, I'm going to use parents and their the faithfulness of parents to teach children uh, teach their children about about who I am so not only does he use faithful parents to to teach the faith to their kids but and when it says when you rise up and when you lie down when you walk along the way that's just another way of saying all the time um, but right. he uses he uses church families also to point one another to the covenant faithfulness of God, and he always uses signs to remind us how good he is. We may have talked about this in the when we talked about the Lord's Supper, but you think about the the, the sign of the covenant from Genesis chapter eight when he has promised that he is no longer going to destroy the earth. This is after the Noah's Ark. Uh, he promises he's never going to destroy the world by by water, and he he gives a sign. He makes a covenant promise to Noah and to his family and to all of creation. He says, "This is the sign of the covenant I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all generations." Right? That's everybody for all times. I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. So there's the, there's the, the covenant of what it is that I'm never going to destroy the world again by water. And then there's a sign of that covenant that testifies to it. And it's this bow that'll be in the clouds and it'll be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that's between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it. And remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all flesh that's on the earth. So that's an old testament. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So Scott, um, I think even definitely using the Noah passage is super helpful for us to understand that signs often accompany uh, God's covenant with with man. Uh, But I think even more importantly, if we back up for just a second, when we talk about this conversation of sacraments and signs and signs and seals, um, all this kind of goes back to our understanding of covenant theology. So um, real quick, give us a, a, a layman's terms definition of what we mean by covenant theology and what we're believing uh, when we think that God uh, interacts with his people uh, covenantally. Yeah, Michael Horton says that if you could climb into the Bible and look at it the way that you look at the rafters in the building, the way that the Bible is structured is, is it's a book of, of covenants. God makes covenants. He makes a covenant with Adam. He makes a covenant with David. He makes a covenant with Noah. He makes a covenant with Abraham. Uh, um, and so the, the Bible is marked by these, these covenants that God makes with his people and, and those covenants. And we see a continuity in the, in the, between the old Testament and the new Testament, that not a, a sharp division between the two books 
but 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 the and and when I ever see a Bible that's just the New Testament, I think that's not the Bible. That's just a part of the Bible. That's like having the second DVD in a two two DVD box set uh, of a movie and just carrying that around in case you want to watch the movie. Well, you you would for never sure, do that. For sure. That sounds absurd. And and so, we can't we can't understand the New Testament apart from the Old Testament. Go ahead. Yeah, for sure. Um, so what do you, when you say continuity, um, what do you mean? I, I mean that God God made a, a covenant with Adam and Eve in the garden that um, that um, a, a covenant of, of works do this and you will live. Uh, you may eat of all the trees of the garden except this one, uh, and in the day of you eat of it, you will surely die. And so God promised. Uh, in that covenant with Adam to reward Adam with life if he obeyed and to punish him with death if he disobeyed. And uh, Adam, Adam and Eve disobeyed. They sinned against God. And God immediately, though, began being gracious to Adam because he didn't physically die the moment that that happened. Uh, rather, uh, God uh, killed an animal to provide skins as a covering for their nakedness. And so we see a covenant of grace, a broader covenant of grace, starting in Genesis 3 and then and then coming to its fulfillment in the person of, of Jesus Christ. So um, could another way of defining continuity be uh, we just see a connection? We see that God's doing one continuous thing throughout redemptive history that the Bible really is one story. Is that what you mean, Scott? That's exactly what I mean. Yes. So in terms of understanding covenant theology, then how does that uh, help us to understand baptism? Yeah, good question. Well, so we would, we would go back and we would look at the, in the old, in the old Testament, we see two primary covenant uh, covenantal signs we see the initiatory sign of circumcision where uh, God tells Abraham uh, you are to circumcise yourself and all the males in your household and e- even slaves that you buy with your money they're all to take this sign of the covenant that is speaking to the fact that they that, that um, all the all the males in your household receive this receive the sign of God's covenant that he's made with Abraham. And when we, and when we get to the new Testament, uh, we see the same thing. We see, uh, repent the, the, the initiatory covenant in the new covenant, the initiatory sign of the new covenant is baptism. And what does Peter say in Acts chapter two? He says, he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise, you might call that word covenant, right? For the promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. You see, in the Bible, in 1 Corinthians 7, it tells us that children of believing parents are, like you said, holy, which means they, they're set apart. So throughout the book of Acts, Gage, we see adults coming to faith and then their entire households being baptized. I always kind of giggle. One of the few times you don't see a household baptism is the Ethiopian eunuch because he's eunuch. He wouldn't have a household and I, and I think that's an important point to make is uh, you see uh, singular faith on the part of Lydia or on the part of the Philippian jailer or um, 
on the part of Cornelius. You see right. singular faith, their faith, but then you see the the descriptions following is that the entire household is baptized. And I think that uh, points to the reality that the sign is for you. The promises are for you and for your children and as many as the Lord God would call to himself. So in, in that communal first century sense, um, if the head of the household makes a profession of faith, then that's now the entire household is now, uh, practicing Christianity, even if it means that the children later on are going to profess faith. We don't believe the, the baptism saves them, but we do think it sets them apart, that it's a, a sign that points to uh, the hope and the reality of their redemption, and it, and it seals them with God's promises that the promises are even for them. Yeah, that's right. And so uh, I happen to know, and I'm happy to tell our, our listeners, that just this past Sunday, you and your wife, Katie, brought your new daughter. Tell everyone your your daughter's name. Yeah, we were able to baptize Ayla Grace. Yeah, and 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 here's and you know what what's happening when when you brought your daughter, who's who's uh, a month old, right? Uh, when you brought her forward to be baptized, you're communicating something to her. You're saying, uh, Ayla Grace, you are just like your mama, and you're just like your daddy. You need a savior. And, and and then in that baptism, uh, uh, you were promising as her parents to point her to the hope she has in Jesus. And and and, uh, uh, and, and what does Jesus say in the Great Commission? To to he says to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son. Making disciples is to uh, includes two parts: baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that He's commanded of us. And so, in Ayla Grace's baptism, first she's baptized, and then the rest of her life is going to be the process of making her a disciple. We're doing it in that order, um, and even the, the the congregation is making is making promises to to God that they also will help point your daughter to Christ over and over again her entire life. So, Scott, let me ask the, the question here um, that often my credo Baptist, my Baptist friends will ask. So, um, is baptism really just a fancy baby dedication? It's not. That's a great question. That's a great question. I, I don't think so, because um, in, a, in, a, in a baby dedication, uh, there are promises that the parents are making, um, uh, they are appealing and asking the Lord to, 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 to use their, their good parenting. But at the end, when that child turns, uh, 13 or 12, or at some point makes a profession of faith, they're going to, they're going to say this child hasn't been baptized, right? There's still something else. And so, um, what you'll hear from my credo Baptist friends is they will hear me talk about infant baptism and they'll they'll track right along and they'll say i think that's great i think that's beautiful you should totally do that however when that kid gets older and makes a profession of faith you should baptize them again which so do is, we baptize again scott no we don't one lord one faith one baptism we we don't baptize them again because what 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 i will say to someone who comes to me and says i was baptized before but I didn't know what was going on because I was a baby, which, by the way, when Isaac was bat was circumcised by his father, he didn't know what's going on. Right. Uh, right. Um, that didn't and make I, and that I, and I think that null and void. 
Yeah, I think that so that points uh, to a really important aspect of what we're saying here. Um, our our credo baptism friends, uh, the the reason we differ with them really fundamentally comes down to the fact that we're saying distinctly different things about what we believe baptism is. Our credo credo baptism friends, um, and just you know, I grew up Southern Baptist. I have an undergrad from a Baptist college. I'm well versed. You know, held this position for a long time. Um, so what they're they're saying is that this is an outward sign of an inward reality. You'll you'll hear them, um, or they made a public profession of faith and they were baptized. Right. The emphasis in that particular moment is something that you're doing yourself. Right. You're getting baptism baptized. You're making a public profession of faith. It's an outward sign of an inward reality. We're saying saying something distinctly different. We're actually saying. That this is something that God is doing to us, right? You referenced uh, Noah and the sign of the rainbow, and uh, Peter talks about this in in one of his epistles when he says that this baptism that corresponds to the ark and the ark going through the water, this same way, this baptism that we're talking about that you were given, it saves you. And now a lot of people will read that and go, "Oh gosh, they you're talking about baptism re- regeneration. You're saying baptism saves me." No, Peter actually goes on to say that meaning this baptism this sign this act of the, the washing of, of of water is an appeal to God for a good conscience it in the same way that we see uh, a connection or we used the word continuity earlier that's all we're saying it is like we see a, a correlation a connection a tie-in between the covenant that God made with Abraham that I will be your God and you will be my people and gave them the sign of circumcision like you mentioned with Isaac we see a connection to the new covenant that there's a connection between circumcision and baptism that what we're saying here is in the same way that God uh, is the one that enacted the covenant with Abraham. He's the one that put Abraham to sleep. He's the one that walked through the pieces. He's the one that said, hey, if this doesn't happen, if this covenant isn't fulfilled, may what's happening to these pieces happen to me. That actually happened to Jesus. Jesus actually uh, allowed himself to be torn for our sake because we didn't keep our end of the covenant. God took the punishment on himself in the form of the second person of the Trinity. God himself in the flesh, Jesus Christ, right? We see that connection then to baptism, which is that God is giving the sign to his uh, children so that he can show that later on he will fulfill his promises. Now, does that mean that every single kid that gets baptized will absolutely be saved? No. I Obviously, you have Isaac and you have Ishmael, and Ishmael walked away. You have Jacob and you have Esau. You have some that receive the sign that walk away from the faith, and Hebrews talks about that and talks about the, the outplay of that. But we are saying at the end of the day that it's not something that we do. It's something that we believe God is doing on our behalf for us. Would absolutely. you agree, Scott? Yeah, absolutely. You you made the point about our our credo Baptist friends uh, would say it's a it's a public profession of an inward decision. I always say it's in, in that understanding, uh, and I'm I'm not. Uh, I, I want to say this gently and charitably. Th- they're kind of comparing it to something like a press conference. If I'm going to run for governor, I'm going to gather all my friends and I'm going to get a podium and I'm going to stand on the steps of the state capitol with a the flag behind me and say, I have an important announcement to make. 
I'm running for office, right? And, and, and that press conference is me making this announcement. And we would say, yay and amen, baptism is an announcement, but you're not the one primarily speaking. God is speaking. I will be a God to you and to your children after you. God is the active party in baptism. And we are, we are baptized. It is, it is God through his church baptizing us. And, and, and so it's an announcement, but it's not your announcement. So what I was saying earlier, when someone will say I was baptized at a, as a baby I didn't understand what was going on. And now that I do understand, I want to be rebaptized. And I would say, no, your, your baptism was a good baptism. God was speaking in your baptism. He was laying claim to you. And I know that he was because here you are standing before me professing faith. So your baptism took, right? I, I'm, I'm, uh, you would never say that again. Isaac didn't say to his dad, can I get recircumcised? Um, right. Lord and, have mercy, please not. And so just as we think that the that the Passover meal has been fulfilled in the Lord's Supper, we believe that circumcision has been fulfilled in baptism. And we see uh, something of a, you know, how much you agree with this. Our Baptist friends would, would, wouldn't necessarily go here with us. But in Colossians chapter 2, um, Paul says, is talking about circumcision. And he says, in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Well, when were they circumcised by Christ? Having been buried having been buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So Paul links together circumcision in the old covenant and baptism in the new covenant. And, and we see, we see that uniformity, which makes sense if circumcision was believers in their households, but in the bapt in, in the old Testament, it was, um, a, a believer, Abraham, and all of the males in his household. Well, what does Hebrews tell us about the new covenant? Is that it's a better covenant with better promises. And so the sign of Amen. that covenant is not just given to men, but it's given to women as well. Um, and so it is a joyous thing to baptize uh, your babies and, and to sit there with your son or your daughter, uh, you know, gauge, you know, in a, in a few years, you're going to be sitting in a, in a church somewhere, or you'll be the pastor, uh, in a church and your wife, Katie is going to be sitting there with your daughter and there'll be another baby being baptized and she'll be able to turn to that. She'll be able to turn to, to Ayla Grace and say, you know, you had, we did that to you when you were a baby, you, you were baptized and God was God was was reminding you uh, that uh, he is a savior to all who trust in him. And just as that water comes down over your head and, and uh, like it's like it's washing things away, the blood of Jesus Christ saves uh, saves sinners like you and like me. So Kevin um, actually did a uh, one off sermon for us uh, Sunday to talk about baptism because we had several people that have joined the church that maybe um, weren't familiar with what we believed about baptism. And during the children's sermon to help the kids understand what was going to take place, because we had actually had Ayla and a, another baptism, Mara, uh, to be baptized, um, he told the kids, you know, you're familiar, familiar with the movie Toy Story and um, you have Andy and then Andy's got all these, these toys and, and one of them, Woody, um, 
has a little bit of a crisis during the first movie. He's trying to wrestle with who he is and who he belongs to. And then at one point in the movie, he looks down and he sees that Andy um, is written on his boot, right? And he remembers, oh, I belong to Andy. Well, in the same way, uh, baptism actually uh, points to this reality, right? Like it, it tells you that I belong to God that I'm set apart for his holy use, that that I am set apart to worship the Almighty. And that's what we believe, right? That we're created in the image of God and that the gospel tells us that, that Christ is in, inviting us to, to rest in him alone and to trust in his finished work, not in anything we've accomplished. And that because of that, we can know that we are children of God, the way the Gospel of John says, not a result of a flesh or blood or works or will, but because of God who saves. And, and baptism points to that reality. Um, and I would even say this, Scott, um, do we believe only ba- babies get baptized? No, we believe anybody anybody who hasn't been baptized who's who's becoming a part of the church needs to be baptized so so it, it's not that we just baptize babies we i i had the joy of baptizing a 75 year old woman who came to faith in christ uh, uh never uh started attending our church was invited by some friends and had never darkened the doors of her church in her entire life and she came and and had a million questions and we sat and talked through all of those um, and then when she was ready to profess faith, uh, she came forward, she joined our church and she was baptized. So by no means do we think that we only baptize babies. We, we again, believers in their households. She was a believer and she was coming to faith. And so she was baptized. Uh, so yeah, we would say anybody who has not been baptized, um, Gage, this is, this is an, an a 2000 year debate or at least a, uh, 1500 year debate about, uh, about, uh, who the subjects of baptism are. And we actually didn't, we're, we're running out of time. We actually didn't get to mode of baptism. Do you sprinkle or do you immerse or does that even matter? We don't really think it does matter how much water is used. Um, but there's a whole lot. I, I would imagine um, there are people who are hearing this for the first time and they have a whole bunch of additional questions. And so we're going to post some articles in the show notes about, in, about baptism, infant baptism, covenant baptism, why we baptize uh, the way we do and why we baptize the people that we baptize. Um, so we, we did not intend for this, this 30 minute discussion to be an exhaustive treatise on baptism. We just wanted to give an introduction to why Presbyterians baptize believers and their households uh, because we believe it's biblical. And it was a shock to me to learn this. I, I growing up in a more Baptist context because for several years of my life, I was Baptist. I used to think, listen, there's only two kinds of people in the world, people who read their Bible and people who baptize babies. Like, <laughs> so, well, and uh, here we are. We, yeah, here we, now here we bab- are. Baptize exactly our babies right. and read our Bibles. Amen. Amen. But folks, thanks for thanks for listening to another episode of Assurance of Pardon. If you've if this uh, episode has ministered to you, uh, please uh, uh, like it, share it on social media, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and share this with a friend.
Yes, and as always, you can find us both on the website, assuranceofparting.com. We'd love to hear from you and love for you to engage with the website. If you have any additional questions about this uh, very complex issue of baptism, uh, or be sure and like uh, our social media pages on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. We always welcome more fans and would love to hear from you and hear um, any questions or concerns or thoughts that you have or ideas for an episode we need to cover or, or things about baptism that we may have uh, missed in this short 30 minutes that you'd love to see a part two of but we'd love to hear your feedback there as always we can't wait till the next episode this is assurance of pardon god bless